For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. So ladies and gentlemen, Tavis Spalding to read the scriptures. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. When they were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered and came to Samuel and Ramah, and said to him, You are too old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us, like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So also they are doing to you. Now listen, now then listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king and who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands of commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive orchards. He will give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and courtiers. He will give he will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But will answer but will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord 
The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, Each of you return home. Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed offerings of well-being before the Lord, and there Saul and all the Israelites rejoiced greatly. The word of the Lord. so great. Thank you. Man, Tava, so good. Uh, okay, a couple things before we get started. Number one, if you were here the last two weeks, you heard Dan Cook preach, and then you heard Claire Wyatt preach, and they were amazing, were they not? Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have not heard those messages, go online and get them, because they are worth it. Wow. Secondly, CJ, you know what to do? I didn't ask you before, but yep, you got it? Okay, got it. Uh, okay. So uh, the context of the verse that uh, Tava just read, and by the way, we, how we pick the passages, if you're new around here, is that we follow the Revised Common Lectionary. So it's a preset, three-year-long cycle of Bible passages that follow the rhythms of the church calendar. So this week, this, this was uh, one of the choices, and I had to choose it for several reasons, which will become obvious, I hope. But the context is this. The children of Israel are in the promised land. So they've left Egypt. They've made it through the wilderness. They've essentially, and I use this word intentionally, conquered and divided the promised land. And now the people that are ruling over them are a series of judges. So Gideon, maybe you've heard his name. Maybe you didn't realize that Deborah was a judge. So way back in the day, we had a woman leading the children of Israel. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, people. Uh, so, um, and then currently the judge is Samuel. And if you notice right in the beginning, we read that Samuel made his sons judges. And to set the scene, the last verse in the book of Judges, which is followed by the book of Ruth, and then followed by 1 Samuel, which is where we're at right now, the last verse in the book of Judges is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. So first, I'll play question. What do we assume that means when we read the people did right according to their own eyes? Chaos was reigning. Thank you, Will. That was wrong. Yes, thank you, Isaac. Whatever worked best for them. The more things change, the more they say the same. So this passage may be about what do you do when chaos is reigning the land, but you're in charge of the people the elders, right? But before we get into that, uh, I was having a conversation with someone from Genesis, and she said, wouldn't it be cool if we could sort of peel back the layers and tell people why we do things the way we do them? 
And so uh, a couple weeks ago, I said that the reason why we have a female read the scriptures when a male is preaching is so we can have, we can hear that the voice of God is both male and female, both masculine and feminine. So if a, thank you, yes, yes. Uh, And if a female is preaching, which we have many of around here, then a male will read the scriptures. And so that's just one of the things that we do intentionally every time. Maybe you didn't know why we do that, but that's why we do that. Uh, and I want to, what I want to do today is something I am so excited about, but I want to uh, peel back the layers of why we do all play questions and what method of biblical interpretation we use around here in order to get to the questions that we get to. So it's going to be really fun. So um, uh, the, the method of biblical interpretation that we use is an ancient method called midrash. Does anybody know what midrash the word means? Yes, exactly, Bob. Thank you very much. It means questioning or searching or seeking. And that method of biblical interpretation was invented by rabbis who, after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in year 70 CE, uh, they had to find a way to preserve Judaism without the structures that used to hold it in place, like the temple. Temples where you went to worship God. The temple, the Jerusalem is where you, uh, everyone made pilgrimage for every feast and festival, right? So it is no small thing to say that, that Judaism was in danger of being extinct uh, yet another time. And so uh, the Pharisees actually are, are, are the only uh, Jewish religious leaders left after the destruction of the temple. And as Mary and I were talking about this whole thing yesterday, She said, I wonder if that's why Jesus spent so much time with the Pharisees. Because he imagined maybe they were going to have to be the ones to carry on the teachings when the temple was destroyed. That's an I wonder. So what they did was they uh, developed sanctuaries in homes. They called them uh, Mikdash and Ma'at. And they developed a way of, of studying the scriptures that enabled the people to process the devastation that they felt. Because remember, they were in exile, so they weren't all gathering together. They had no feeling of what it, what it meant to be a people anymore. Uh, so, so these Jewish rabbis had to develop a way of studying Torah in which the very study of Torah would feel like gathering in the temple to worship the living God. So they came to believe that the words found in the scriptures were living and alive and that they were meant to start conversations with people that could be debated back and forth. The rabbis believed that the Bible was not meant to be the last word, but the first word in a, con- in a conversation that, was, that would be ongoing, that allowed people to process their time in a way that made sense. So uh, Midrash has four layers. And, and, and um, before I say that, I want to also say Midrash assumes that anytime you find a contradiction in the Bible, and if you're honest, you find them, right? They're there for a reason. They're there assuming that a group of people will go, hey, what about, I, I read something different elsewhere. And so that group of people will then discuss that and figure out more and more of the hidden meaning of where the Bible, what the Bible is really trying to say. 
uh, the rabbis that developed Midrash assumed that the people that studied Midrash would look at what's missing in a passage and try to fill in the blanks by looking at other portions of Scripture. So the rabbis assumed that the writers of Scripture didn't write it all clean and clear and perfectly uh, understandable at first blush. They assumed that people would have to read it with other people and study it together and compare it with other passages of Scripture so that it would make a greater story make sense. Are you tracking so far? So this is a very different way of reading Scripture than most of us grew up with, where you would go to a Scripture passage to find the one meaning, and then you would go to apply it. Midrash assumes that one passage of scripture can have multiple meanings. And so, and actually, if you read, um, if you follow along uh, with the Torah portion, which is like the Revised Common Lectionary for our Jewish brothers and sisters, they don't call passages of scripture passages. They call them portions. I'll play question. Why do they call them portions, not passages? They're part of the whole. They're part of the Bible. Same thing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, because it's food that you eat. And it's enjoyable to eat good food, is it not? So when, when students of Torah would start their method of study, they would have a slate of, of, made out of scriptures that people would soak in honey. And one of the first things they would do is they would and they would associate the study of Torah with the delicious taste of honey. Come on now! <laughs> and a passage is, has a beginning, it's a journey, has a beginning, has an end. You travel through it so that you can find the destination. A portion you have a little bit, and then you want, come on now. There are four layers to Midrash, because some of you are thinking like, this, okay, this sounds cool, but then that means you can just make up whatever you want to make up. Like, that's the, and you can eat it. What if you don't like it? They thought of that. So uh, first layer is called Peshat. Everybody say Peshat. Peshat is the Hebrew word. It means surface or plain or simple. And many thanks to my friend Stephanie Spencer, director of 40 Orchards. She helped me put this uh, talk together. And so some of these definitions of these four movements, these four layers, are courtesy of Steph. So thank you, Steph. Um, so Peshat means surface, plain, or simple. So the first layer of a, of a portion that you would look at, you're, you're looking at the obvious. You're looking at chronology. You're looking at dates, times, events. And the further layers, as you get down, cannot contradict Peshat, okay? That's where you can't just make up whatever you want to. If it says Abram is 99, you can't say he's really 75. If, uh, so, so you can't create your own meaning. It has to start with the Peshat meaning, the simple meaning. But the thing is, you don't, you don't stop there. If you just stop there, how boring would that be? And yet, some of you are thinking right now, okay, the first 35 years of my life, all I did was one layer. Now I'm angry. <laughs> the next layer is called remez. Remez. It means hint. 
So the rabbis assumed that the writers of Scripture put clues and hints in the form of certain words that they chose intentionally that were like little threads that you would pull to get to another passage that would illuminate the meaning in much greater ways. Kind of like when you click on an icon on your desktop, it takes you to a different place. That's the idea of remez. And so uh, we're looking for connections. We're looking for allegorical interpretations in in remez. And then uh, the third layer is called drash. And that's where we get the word midrash. It means to question or seek or inquire. And this is when we get to go beyond what's immediately apparent, and we get to wonder why certain things are happening, why certain things are left out. We get to wonder about what, how our current situation maybe plays into it. We get to imagine different scenarios where this, these same principles uh, take place. Uh, and we're looking for deeper meanings, metaphorical meanings. And then the, the, the final layer is called sued. And it means secret or mystery. And this layer can only be given to you by an inspiration of God. It's, it's, it's mystery. It's, it's, and, and, we, and we've all experienced that. This is that moment where you are given a word by God which you never would have come up on your own. It's just like, oh my gosh. But it's after studying. Uh, so with Midrash, you can use your imagination. You can find multiple meanings. You can read contemporary problems or concerns into the story. And, uh, but again, the principles are these. The extended meanings can't contradict the Peshat, okay? Uh, and it's encouraged that you let Scripture interpret Scripture. So that's how it all works. You go from one passage or portion to another one. And um, so let's go. Let's quickly, in the next 10 minutes, uh, let's do Midrash with this passage. Got it? Okay, Peshat, simple direct meaning. What is the Peshat meaning of this passage? That's an all-play question. Come up with one sentence. What's, what's going on in this passage? What's the Peshat meaning? The simple, straightforward one. Yes, they, the children of Israel, the elders, want a king. Okay? And so they go to the judge, Samuel, whose sons are corrupt. And we read that. And then Samuel goes to God. Samuel is displeased. He goes to God. God says, well, go ahead and warn them. They can have a king, but it's going to mean this. Uh, and then Samuel goes, and um, he says, he gives them the warning. They say, we still want a king. And so they anointed Saul. Now, that's the Peshat. People wanted a king. God gave them a king. Everybody agree? Anyone disagree with that, Peshat? Okay, let's go to Remez. This is when we start asking questions and looking for hints. Uh, let's ask this question. Why do the elders ask for a king? That's an all play. Because that's what other people have. And why do we, was that, Lynn? no, who said that? Okay, yes. Uh, and, and, and we know that she's right because we read right in the scriptures, they ask for a king like the other nations, okay? Um, so that should lead you to a question. What question should that lead you to ask? Why is that good? And, and what is a king like the other nations? So if, if you wanted to find out, according to the Remez principles, what would you do if you wanted to find out what the word other nations means? You would pull a thread. So you might ask, where else is that very word nations used? Because probably the writer is wanting us to go make a little journey to that passage. 
And if you do that, the first time that's used, it's so funny, or, or not, not the first time, but one of the times it's used is Judges uh, 21, no, no, sorry, is um, Deuteronomy 29, 16, and 17. Now listen closely. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nation, same word, through which we passed. So the people are leaving Egypt, passing through the wilderness. They haven't landed in the promised land yet. But as they pass through, they encounter other and they see things. Here's what they see. Uh, you have seen their detestable things, the filthy idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold uh, that were among them. And it may be that there is among you a man or woman or a family or a tribe whose heart is already turning away from the Lord our God to serve the gods of those nations. It may be that there is among you a root sprouting poisonous and bitter growth. So now what do we know? Yummy, someone said. Now what do we know? That the root potentially has grown. And how do we know that that's probably true, what Eric said, that the root is probably growing? It's already in your passage. There, okay, yes, they were complaining, but why were they complaining? There was corruption. So the judges that were supposed to care for the people are extorting them, they're living on bribes, and they're, they're acting unjustly. So... The elders go to Samuel and they say, we want a king like the other nations. Now, we know the story. They anoint Saul. We all know Saul turns out badly. So here's a question. Is it wrong for the elders to have requested a king? Because we see how it turned out. Is it wrong? What question should you ask after that question? What motivated them? Yes, totally. But even before that. If you want to find out, is it wrong that they asked for a king, what question should you ask? What does God say about that? So if we look up the word king, we go all the way to Deuteronomy 17, 14, where God says this. And Deuteronomy is written several hundred years before 1 Samuel. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, which they had by that point, and have taken possession of it and settled it, which they had, and you say... I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set over you a king whom the Lord your God will choose. One of your own community you may set as a king over you. You're not permitted to put a foreigner over you, which Saul wasn't, uh, who is not one of your community. Was it wrong to ask for a king? Not wrong to ask for a king. What if you were the elders of the children of Israel and you're seeing that Samuel's sons are corrupt? What question would you have for Samuel? Yeah, what did you do or why aren't you doing anything about it? We're suffering, Samuel. You're blind and it says Samuel's old. What is the writer trying to say more than just his age? He's, <laughs> that is what the writer's trying to say. But he's not gonna say it that straightforwardly. He's blind to the truth. He's checked out. He's attached to tradition. He's fading away. Uh, Isaac has come up with this, this phrase, I got the skills to pay the bills. So he's lost his ability. He's lost his skills to pay the bills, right? So now. If 
Sally's been doing this for a while. So what she did was leap several buildings in a tall, in, in, one, in one fell swoop. She associated the word Samuel, which, is the, which comes from the word Shema in the Hebrew, which means to hear. And so the Shema is the great uh, commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that was the prayer that they'd be praying. So, so Samuel, Sally, is saying, listen, he needs to listen. And now he has an opportunity to listen. The question is, will he listen? Now, let me pause. What is different about what we have just been doing from probably how you've assumed the, what, what you've assumed the passage meant even leading into it? Who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Right? Now, I'm not saying actually Samuel's the bad guy, but we're uncovering questions because like when you read the rest of the scripture, Samuel goes to God, Samuel's displeased. God says, well, you know, give them what they want, but warn them. We, we assume that these people are just complainers like they always have been. And Samuel does what he does, brings it to God. But here's another question. So let's, let's go into the midrash or the darash, the third layer. And I want to ask, we are led into Samuel's conversation with God. We read that. But whose conversation aren't we led into? Yes, we're not, we're not privy to the elders in their conversations with each other and God. And remember, they're, they're representing the people and they're seeing the destruction of the people and they're doing something about it. Are they doing the right thing? They're doing what they think is right. What do you do? when you are in charge of people at a very crucial time in history and you have to confront the leader who's not doing it right, are you certain that you are proposing the right course of action when you do that? Anyone? Never. Never. So what are your options? Pray. And seek counsel. Do nothing. Say it louder. Okay. So Sally's bringing up this question. Who do these people think that their king is? Is it the judge? Is it Saul? Or is it Adonai? Yahweh. So, um, at this point we could start asking other questions like, is there anything about Samuel's response of being displeased, which means to tremble or to be broken apart, that we need to explore? He's displeased with the people. Steve, you're, you're nodding. What do we need to explore? Well, I think uh, this is fascinating. I've always uh, seen Samuel as uh, his actions or his attitude uh, displays God's attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And he wishes he didn't have to deal with this. Yeah. And so I would say that displeasing is, that's a bummer that that's how he's feeling. He could have engaged with the elders. Yeah, exactly. So Steve's bringing up the, so, so Steve said, essentially, I've always looked at Samuel as speaking for God. But really, what about if we can see Samuel as a human being and say he's tired, 
He's maybe broken apart. He's trembling, broken apart because of his sons. Anyone have sons or daughters that have maybe not gone the way that you wanted them to go? Yeah? Um, if they're in this room, don't, don't you know, out them. <laughs> right? But, it, but so Midrash allows us to play with all of that. Now, we're not contradicting the Peshat. Um, we're just saying if we're going to find deeper meaning in this passage, we need to turn over all of those rocks. Amen? And we can. And the Bible assumes we will. And God wants us to engage in those conversations so that we can find meaning in the current devastation of our time. So if you're a part of a church and maybe you're bummed out or angry with a leader, uh, then if you approach the text this way, there's lots, there's just there's so many angles you can look at it. Maybe that leader is corrupt. Maybe that leader is tired. Maybe that leader is sad. Maybe that leader has lost her ability to hear the voice of God. Uh, but we don't know, right? So instead of rushing to make judgments, as Sally said, we can take the time to really explore the hidden meanings. There's so many more questions we could ask about this passage, like, is it just and loving for God to give the people what they asked for, even though God surely knows that it will harm them later? Is that just? So the rabbis could have a 40-year debate on that one. Uh, how can we learn to see both the good and the bad in the past, and the good and the bad in the present, so that we won't be deaf to hearing what we need to do in the future? That's another question we could wrestle with. Um, was Saul destined to end badly, or could he have been a great king? In an age of Me Too and Church Too, how are we going to keep our leaders accountable? All of that we can look at from that text. And this was just, you guys, a 12-minute breeze over. Imagine if you had a day. This is how we believe that God intended the scriptures to be approached as portions that we could, and when we encounter the scriptures, we're actually encountering the presence of God. And that in the scriptures, we find the beginning of a conversation that God wants to start with us that we can then interact with over the course of history. And every time people gather to study God's living word, something sacred and living is birthed out of it. Amen? Uh, and the last one we don't have time for, sued or the hidden meaning, this is when you would begin to um, move into a time of 60 seconds of silence to see if God might <laughs> breathe something to you. Um, that's one of the ways that you might encounter the hidden or the mystery. So um, before we go into silence, I want to say I've put two books down here that you can take pictures of, but if you take them, I will hunt you down. Uh, they're both on Midrash, and one of them specifically is from a Jewish rabbi. The other one is from a Christian, how to use Midrash as a way of interpreting scripture. So if you're interested in further study, take a look at those, take pictures of those. Uh, I, have a, I have a couple cameras set up here, so if you, if you take them, I will know. So, um, is that fun? 
Oh, man. Uh, so now you know how we do what we do. A little bit more of. And you can do it too. So now as we go into 60 seconds of silence, uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us now. Now.